Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. We love getting feedback from you. Today, it is going to be the return of where he been. The game show that is sweeping the globe. Tom Fernelli has another set of questions. Danny and I will be competing against each other in where he been. Also, uh, this is a fun part of the season because we are going to review those win totals locks. Our win totals locks episode, one of the most popular episodes of the entire offseason. And we already have some winners in the bank. Danny has winners. Chip has winners. Tom has winners. And Bud's got some sweats. Uh, Bud not joining us, but he has sent along all of his analysis. Now, what are the win total bets we feel the best about? What are the win total bets we feel the worst about? And what are we still going to be sweating all the way home? Before we get there, a few headlines. And we begin with Wednesday night football. That's right. Wednesday night football. We have UCF. We have SMU. Uh, this is a game that was moved because of the hurricane and then moved again. So we are going to be seeing uh, SMU be playing. Now, and why do I mention SMU? Because SMU to this point in the season, because the game has been moved, has not yet played the Mustangs' fifth game of the season, which means that those players on the team have only played four games. And based on the redshirt rules, if you have only played four games in a season – then you might be able to uh, still take that redshirt year and then maintain it moving forward. So, an interesting report that came from the Dallas Morning News in indicating that multiple SMU players will sit out the remaining of the 2022 season with the intention of entering the transfer portal. Now, these names, I, I will be honest, did not register as you know game changers for my expectations. But before we get into just a you know a short little, if you got a pick, if you got a thought, anybody who's watching this is going to obviously have the game on because we are blessed with Wednesday night football here on October 5th. Um, any, any thoughts on the fact that we're starting to see this report trickle out? Because we have started to enter that point in the season where at other programs, if you've played that fifth game, if you've played in all five games, then you've missed out on, you know, you could call it the Derek King. You could call it the Kelly Bryant. You know, this is not something that is uncommon. Did it, uh, did it, Get your attention at all as we have reportedly a couple of players that are going to be taking this process of sitting out the rest of the year with the intention of transferring, maintaining the year of eligibility, and continuing their college career elsewhere. This is the wrong answer, but no. 
I thought I thought I can't believe this happening to Rhett Lashley because Rhett Lashley was the offensive coordinator who got Derek King. And Derek King had an extra year of eligibility because he sat out after before less than four games with Houston. So I was like, well, that's that's quite an interesting development. I was honestly more surprised that we hadn't seen more of this. And it's possible that, you know, once we actually start to get into the transfer window, remember, we've got transfer windows now, so you can't get into the transfer portal officially right now. Uh, I, I imagine we will see more instances of this, especially with reserve players who just never cracked the depth chart, and they're going to say they declare a red shirt. But I, that was my reaction. Number one, well, Rhett, Rhett Lashley involved in this again, but just not in the same way. And then number two, actually a little bit surprised that we didn't hear this coming from more programs, at least as a headline. Well, I would say of the, of the players that are reportedly entering the portal for SMU, only one of them from the looks of it is somebody that you would consider a contributor to the team this year. Whereas, um, let's see what Shahan wrote about this on the website. Uh, Chase Cromartie was a defensive back who had started 17 games over the last two seasons, but he has kind of not played very much this year under a new coaching staff. So to me, that just strikes me as one of those situations where new people in charge, his roles disappeared. The bigger surprise of the names is that Isaiah Nwakobia, and I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right, was like the second highest rated player in SMU's 2021 recruiting class. He's played a lot since cutting on campus, him entering the portal, I think, is something that could be a problem for the Mustangs. But it could also just be a situation where we're seeing now, like, maybe a bigger program has expressed interest. And maybe he wants to save a year of eligibility and move there after the season. I don't know. It's I, I think the overall feeling I get from this is I'm not surprised by it when it comes to anybody anymore. I mean, Hank Bachmeyer just joined the portal, you know, last week after his team lost because he wants to reserve a year of eligibility and he realized he was probably not going to be starting at Boise State for the rest of the year. I think this is just something that is going to be the norm from now on. So it's when when the news breaks, it's just like, yeah, okay, as long as it's not a major starter, it's just like, that's the thing. With Boise, it's their starting quarterback. If SMU's starting quarterback was entering the portal, it would raise an eyebrow for me. But when it's mostly guys who aren't really contributing on the defensive side of the ball or offensive side of the ball, eh. There were a couple interesting angles to this, though, because I agree with you. If it's a quarterback, we're going to read about it. I bet there's a lot more of these that we just haven't heard. Yeah. You know, Gary they Bryant Jr. at USC, yeah. who was a, a you know big contributor prior to Lincoln Riley, is uh, expected to, according to the Los Angeles Times, expected to redshirt as well. So you're right. There, there are more that are not turning into these kind of uh, headlines, especially uh, you know with a bunch of them all at once. A couple different things I have. Maybe they're questions. What happens now? Do they still practice with the team? Do they still get developed? Do they work out in the weight room? Do they go to class at the school? Do they go online and bounce and go home and you know work out on their own? I don't. That's just a cure. I'm curious. I'm curious to know, and I'll try to read out, reach out to some coaches and try to find that answer out. The other thing is, like, because I, I it irritates me, right? I'm, I'm more old school, but I've realized that we are evolving as a sport and these situation becoming more normal. So I'm trying to check myself and saying, all right, let's really think about this from a lot of different directions. You get, we realize that a lot of players are told after four games, you are redshirting. Mm-hmm. Like your season is done. We don't think you're good enough. And they'll put it a lot more delicately than that. Oh, you know, well, what's best for you and your career is, you know, we've decided to go ahead and we're going to try to, you know, 
And then maybe in week nine, the coaches change their mind and say, well, due to, you know, roster issues, you might have to burn that red shirt now. There's a lot of stuff that happens across college football where, it, you know, you have to look at it from both sides. So I thought about that. And then the other thing is just because you like, is are you announcing your intentions and letting it get in the news cycle so that teams might be, you know, might express interest, even though they're not supposed to, but they can, you know, probably shoot you yeah, a DM. They can slide in those DMs and be like, oh, yeah, you're thinking about leaving, huh? You know, you want to come over here to our place? I think that's probably another, you know, angle to this is why, why let everybody know? Well, because you want everybody to know and you can't enter your name in the portal yet. Danny, you, 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 they always say putting in the work, you put in the work here on the cover three podcast to evolve, evolve as a college football, uh, as a college football fan and somebody who's obviously extremely invested in the sport. This, this definitely comes down to your relationship with the coaching staff. And when you have a coaching change, like you do at SMU and like you do at USC and when that new coaching staff has used the transfer portal to like bolster the roster and bring in a lot of players I would hope that there is the opportunity afforded to those players to use the weight room, that there's the opportunity to be able to like continue to be maybe not a part of game planning as much, but at least a part of like the facilities. You're not going to all of a sudden be walking up with your key card and it's like, <laughs> like hit the door and then all of a sudden you can't get in all the places. Escorted you out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Escorted out by security. I would hope that, especially in these two instances that we've mentioned here, the, the coaching staff has used the transfer portal and the modern freedom of movement rules to be able to you know, get their tenure started on what they see as the right foot. I, I hope that they are still going to be able to uh, allow for the game. You know, uh, like they can't hate the game, right? I mean, you just... It's just the way that it goes. All right, what about the game itself? Because it was interesting. The headline popped, and I was like, oh, man, are we going to... We're going to see a big movement. Is everybody going to be jumping on the other side of SMU? Nope. That thing has sat right at three because, as Tom mentioned, the collection of players in terms of the actual game itself and trying to handicap it are not going to influence. If you thought that SMU's very potent passing attack was going to be successful against a UCF defense that has been pretty solid so far, you still think that is going to be the case. Uh, if you thought that UCF was going to be able to have success against SMU, then these absences are not going to change that at all. So what are our expectations uh, for this game? SMU at UCF rescheduled twice in Orlando. It's weird because it's like, it's a Wednesday. <laughs> so like, you know, you said the game was rescheduled. You don't know exactly what UCF's been dealing with because of the hurricane as far as prep for this game is concerned. Like, have they really been able to stay in their routine or have they been thrown out? And how badly is that going to affect their performance in the game? The same for SMU, which has had the game delayed and will now be playing in the middle of the week and now traveling at an odd time. It's like those things that you don't really think about when it comes to trying to handicap a game that you that you kind of should. <laughs> like, because routines for players are kind of important for them to get ready for games. So... I don't know. I, I just in a vacuum looking at these two teams, I think UCF is the better team, but just I have a difficult time trusting them in a spot like this because I don't trust them offensively. Like I feel like Gus sometimes, you know, gets a little too Gus. And at times he's either trying to pass too much or he's not trying to pass at all. And it hinders what the team can do offensively. But as you mentioned, I think defensively this team's pretty solid. 
But have they really faced anybody that can test that to this point? Like SMU, I think, can test it. So my lean is SMU in the points. But I really I'm going to have a Twitter tip for this one at some point today. But I really do not have a strong feel anyway in this game. I'm with you on almost all accounts. Did you guys happen to see now, it's easy to play this card after you lose the game, but you see Todd Bowles, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he said the you know they went to Miami to practice, to get ready. Now, they didn't move their game back. They kept it on Sunday Night Football, but he said it absolutely impacted our preparation for the game. Now, those guys are dealing with a little bit more. They've got families got to take care of. Like There's probably a little bit more logistically that's taking place off the field. But it is unique, and players are creatures of habit, and it does come into play there. I was, you know, so I covered the UCF FAU game. I was impressed with the, uh, excuse me, UCF's defense, and they did a pretty good job against Nikozi Perry, and that offense was doing okay. Now I don't, I think SMU clearly comes in with more firepower and a better offense that's more challenging. There's going to be a play in this game. I'd maybe lean towards the under because I do think. John Rice Plumley throwing the ball. Ugh. Uh, is, I think that's what <laughs> Gus Malzahn is starting to realize, why they're really starting to limit the amount that they actually throw the ball. I think against Georgia Tech, he only threw it eight times, and they didn't have to do much. I mean, yeah, he was like eight of 16, 49 yards, uh, zero touchdowns, and an interception, and they ran the ball all over the place. I think that's what they'll try to do. So if anything, I would lean towards the under. And it is one of those ones where I'm surprised UCF isn't favored by more, which tells me get on SMU while you can. Like there's something fishy to this one. So I'd probably lean toward SMU, but I like the under probably a little bit better. Well, the um, I think that SMU, which I don't have the box score pulled up right in front of me, but anecdotally off the top of my mind, I remember SMU going blow for blow at TCU. Like was it was competitive in that game. As somebody who had it as one of their locks, I was paying attention more closely than most. SMU kept cutting the lead to seven and then they'd make some boneheaded mistake. Like they yeah. could have come back or they'd give up a big play. Like they were very competitive with an outstanding TCU team. So yes, I agree with you, Chip. And I don't have the box score in front of me either. I just remember watching it, keep throwing things at the TV. Like, come on, we got to get this thing going. But now how good does that look as TCU continues to ascend where, you know, you're, you're looking by the way at UCF and you're saying, okay, so, you know, that Louisville game. Yuck. Okay. You beat Georgia tech. So your next best win is FAU. I mean, I, I'm not going to go all they ain't played nobody, but which uh, also was close through the third quarter. And then there was a couple, you know, turnovers in the red zone. And, you know, it was, it was a little weird game as well. So it sounds like uh, Danny leaning towards the under. I, I'll probably lean towards uh, towards SMU as well. Uh, it was three this morning or last night. Looks like some places already starting to move to two and a half. If you like the Mustangs, shop around and uh, and go ahead and jump on that. Coming up on the other side, it is time to look back at our win totals locks for the 2022 season. So what's cashed? What's not looking so good? And what lock fights are going to be on the line in the weeks ahead? Our biggest sweats and more next. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. 
The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Thanks to everybody who hangs out. Thanks to everybody who watches live and joins the chat. Smash that subscribe. Smash the like. Come join us in the chat. We were talking about Gary Bryant Jr. earlier. Eddie in the chat. Just unsubstantiated reporting. I'm just going to trust you, Eddie. Says that Gary Bryant is doing well and on the scout team and still practicing. So that would sort of fall into being able to be a part of the team as much as possible without jeopardizing your eligibility. Also, the chat is going to always come through with the LOLs cover three film room long time saying Rhett Lashley is used to coaching hurricanes in Florida, Florida. Yep. SMU mm-hmm. lock it up. Those are the kind of principles that I'm going to always be uh, attracted to through and through. Okay, Tom, your win totals locks heading into the season were Michigan over nine and a half. Oklahoma State under eight and a half, Purdue under seven, Arizona State under six, Arizona over two and a half, Florida State under seven, Auburn over six, Vanderbilt over two and a half, UMass under two and a half, Northern Illinois under seven and a half, and Illinois over four and a half. So let's go uh, go ahead and uh, actually let's listen, listen. Listen, if we're just going to go ahead and jump out the window with it, we got to go ahead and let them know. Listen, because, because, because Tom's going to cash it because, 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 because Chip's going to cash it and, 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 and Danny's going to cash it. The only three who trusted our brethren, Barton Simmons, the best general manager in college football, Vanderbilt over by October. He cashed it. Uh, that was one of three uh, lock unities that we had on the board, and it was one of our winners. All right, we'll go. Uh, let's go ahead and unload them all, and then we'll sort of go by uh, most confident, least confident. Danny, you had Michigan over nine and a half, the Oklahoma State over eight and a half, Utah over nine, Texas under eight and a half, USC under nine and a half. NC State over eight and a half, Clemson over ten and a half, Vanderbilt over two and a half, and Kansas over two and a half. Uh, by the way, Kansas also a winner. Uh, Tom Arizona over two and a half, a winner. Uh, Chip had Penn State over eight and a half, Oklahoma State under eight and a half, UNC over seven and a half, Arizona State under six, Arizona over two and a half. NC State over eight and a half, Tennessee under eight, and Vanderbilt over two and a half. All right, so now let's go category by category. Now, as we are sitting here with the board as it stands, what are you the most confident in so far? 
Well, I'm most confident in Vandy in Arizona because they've already cashed. <laughs> it doesn't count. Oh, okay. you got, it's got to be Illinois for you, though, right? Your guys? I've got Yeah, I've got three. And two of them are in the land of Lincoln. Uh, I'm feeling great about my Illinois over four and a half because they're already four and one. And it's hard to imagine they're going to lose their last seven games the way that they've been playing. So I think that one's as good as cashed. And I'm also very confident in my northern Illinois under seven and a half because they are already one and four which means they will have to go seven and oh the rest of the way to reach the over so i feel like that one's already cashed and the other one that i feel great about arizona state under six because it's playing out exactly like i expected it to i thought this team was going to get off to a slow start i thought there was a very good chance herm could get fired and that's exactly what has happened so if we were talking at the top of the show about SMU and players entering the portal, I don't know how many people from Arizona State are going to enter the portal because they're past that four-game kind of you know redshirt rule. But a lot of players in that locker room are probably thinking about next season already and what their future holds. So I don't think that the Sun Devils are going to suddenly rally to get to seven wins. All right, Danny, what are you most confident in at this point? I don't feel as confident as Tom does. And I think Tom is accurately probably more excited and more confident in his i feel good about all of mine except for one good not great though because i mean (laughs) i've learned more times than not that you know you start celebrating that's when you get burned like i feel like i'm positioned really well um in all of them except for one and that's usc uh usc under nine and a half uh yes and all these teams that i picked do have you know they're getting into more conference play there'll be more tests But USC has exceeded my expectations, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like being able to win ugly against Oregon State in Corvallis was that was a game I thought might trip them up, or a game like that where the offense isn't executing. I thought a team might be able to run on them or do something like that. So I was impressed with the way they've won. Most confident, I'd probably have to say Michigan over nine and a half, although they haven't. They haven't had that many tests yet. I mean, the Iowa game, I guess, would have been one where I said they were going to slip up potentially. So that's I was going to, since that is a, a lock unity, a Tom, Danny, Bud lock unity, they come out as like blowing the doors off of some of the worst teams in college football. What does, is Michigan, even after, you know, the Maryland game looked a little bit you know, shaky. I, I think that Iowa played out exactly like how Michigan wanted. I am not going to, penalize Michigan for jumping out to a 13-0 lead and then sitting on it to sort of keep an Iowa at arm's length the rest of the way. Are you still feeling good that this is a 10-2 team? Yeah, I, I'm i not not nearly as confident as the other three I already listed, but like the thing that if you look at Michigan so far, they, their non-con was a joke in Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn. They completely steamrolled them. Those teams are like a combined 2-13 and 13 or whatever. Uh, Iowa... Again, it was only a 13-point win, but they were in complete control of that game the entire time and just kind of you know sitting on them. The Maryland game was a concern because we saw a team with an explosive offense was able to exploit a Michigan defense that I'm starting to think really isn't as good as it was last year or as good as I expected it to be this year. But the problem is, okay, Michigan's defense might struggle against explosive offenses how many explosive offenses are left on the schedule? Because they've got Indiana on the road this week, which is a series they have completely dominated. Like they lost the 2020 game, but they've won 60 of the 70 meetings, and they're usually winning those games by three scores. Penn State at home, that could be tricky, but I don't think Penn State's offense is that explosive this year, at least not in the sense that Maryland's is, where I feel like they can really stress what Michigan's problems were. Michigan State at home, 
maybe Sparty put some points up on it, but that defense is still butt. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think they're going to stop. Rutgers on the road, that's fine. Nebraska maybe can give them some trouble. Illinois offense, I don't think we'll give them much trouble. I think defensively the Illini are fantastic, but offensively they've still got plenty of flaws and like they're kind of like Michigan in which I can count on them to be able to run the ball, but I think Michigan can stop the run. So it's not really until you get to that last game of the regular season at Ohio State where I see another offense on there that I think's going to give Michigan real problems. And that was kind of baked in when we all took the over nine and a half anyway. So I'm still confident in it. I'm just not as confident as the other ones because the other ones I feel like are one game away from cashing already. I'm not in on this win total, but I'm in a place where my stock price or my power rating has dropped over the last two weeks for Michigan, but my projected end of season win total is still the same because mm-hmm. of what you said. I mean, it's just the, the schedule is setting up such that even if Michigan turns in a performance that is not, oh my gosh, top four team, they, they are going back to the playoff kind of performance. They're not going nine and three. They might not be 11 and zero going to Columbus the way that I thought, at one time this season, but I I don't think they're going to be nine and two going to Columbus. I think they pick up one more loss max before they end up getting to that regular season finale against Ohio State. Yeah, got to feel a little, got to feel a little bit better too that the updated win total is ten and a half mm-hmm. <laughs> just on on Caesars. You know, nice. it's juiced to the under heavily, but you know, at least it's still they moved it. Um, The Big Ten is typically playing out kind of what I thought it was going to do, where like Michigan's not great, but there's a huge gap between it and everybody else in the conference. Bud not able to uh, make the show today, but he did send along some of his uh, thoughts on the win totals. He is most confident in that Michigan over nine and a half. And and how about, I mean, look, he was the only one on it. TCU over six and a half. That's actually feel good about that. Yeah. It's got to feel really, really good right now. Also, Virginia under seven. Uh, Brennan Armstrong looks like a shell of the quarterback who was throwing for 400 yards a game last year. Should have transferred. What? Should have transferred. You know, while he had the opportunity and maybe should have followed Robert and I to Syracuse and just kind of kept (laughs) the thing going because now Garrett Schrader's having a ball in that offense. I don't, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Last year, who was DJU's offensive coordinator? Tony Elliott. Uh, How was DJU playing? Man, Tony Elliott. I tell you what, DJ Uyunglele's got like 11 touchdowns and zero interceptions or something like that. So DJ's (laughs) suddenly playing well under a new OC, and then Brennan Armstrong switched from a nigh to – Tony Elliott's not the OC, but it's the same offense, and now he's struggling. I'm just – you know, we've talked about Jimbo's offense being too complicated. I don't think Clemson's is complicated enough. I think they're on the opposite ends, and I think it's a little – they're not the, – the offense that Tony Elliott and those guys run, I don't think it's complicated enough, and I think it's a little too easy for teams to defend. They've got great wide receivers too. Yeah, and they're not getting them open. And the offensive line is bad, too. I mean, there's there's a lot that's going poorly with Virginia. Again, probably one of the reasons why Bud Elliott is the most confident uh, in Michigan over 9.5, Virginia under 7, TCU over 6.5. He also adds Troy over 5.5. That guy loves Troy. And San Jose State uh, over 6. We should get get Bud a Troy shirt or something. 
that's a, that's a Tom Fernelli special right there to mm-hmm. just send some, send a t-shirt from a team that you just get on uh, real hard on the podcast. All right. What about least confident, Danny? We can start with you first. Uh, what, what do you think is ha- not a sweat? Cause we want to get the ones in the middle, but like uh, on the other end of the spectrum, which one do you think is, uh, is headed, headed towards the ditch? I kind of gave it away already. The USC, the uh, under nine and a half for the Trojans. There's another sweat in here that I want to get to. Um, and it, it kind of is a little crossplay with uh, Tom's, one of his that I think he might be sweating out. But I'll go with USC. I think USC is exceeding my expectations. I mentioned that already. I'm trying to find their updated totals to see if it's bounced up as well. Um, their totals at 10 and a half now. So yeah, that's definitely a reason I look at it and be like, Eesh, not very confident in that one at all. So I was I had that question on CBS Sports HQ last night. Um, it was a it's a classic factor fiction segment, and the, uh, the factor fiction it, USC will finish undefeated in Pac-12 play. And my initial like right off the bat before I turned my notes in brainstorming, and I said, "Well, fiction Pac-12 is better than I expected." Then I went to look at the remaining schedule for USC and Washington State, which the Trojans are thirteen point favorites against this weekend. It's like the third toughest foe left like there's obviously the utah game ucla looks more intimidating utah and ucla are on the road notre dame down two. i mean it's it, it is looking much better for lincoln riley and anyone who thought that usc was going to be uh exceeding that win total so i definitely I, hear you there go ahead would i be crazy though to like go back to the window and double down on under 10 and a half because i think 10 and 2 is probably where they finish like I, I feel pretty good about that. You don't you do. Where's the two? I, I still think they haven't been tested as much as the, Utah. I think is a matchup. I think it's really interesting. And UCLA's getting right. Like I think there's three opportunities, and I think Notre Dame might be better by that time. They're starting to figure things out. I think there's three potentials. Two of them on the road. I know UCLA doesn't exactly have the home field advantage going for them. But I, so you guys, you guys look at me like I'm crazy. If I said I was no. going to double up and say, no. let me take under 10 and a half. No, because I look at how they've played and at home against Arizona State, Fresno and Rice, they've been dominant. Well, not dominant against Arizona State. They did struggle against their own. Arizona State was probably did a much better job in that game than they had any right to now that I think about it. But there are two games on the road, Stanford. Stanford ran the ball on them well, too. And that was one of the things like with Arizona State. We talked about it on Monday. I think teams with strong rushing attacks and good rushing quarterbacks are going to give this team trouble. At Oregon State on the road, they really struggled in that game. It was a 17-14 to slugfest. So I see Utah on the road coming up. I think they're going to lose that game. I think UCLA on the road is going to be difficult. I think Arizona on the road will give them some problems. I think USC will win the game, but I don't think it's going to be comfortable. So I look at that. I see a Cal team that offensively no. sometimes shows up. No, 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 no. Offensively, they're still there. And Caleb Williams has shown he's not he's not immune to a stinker once in a while. So that could be problematic. Notre Dame, I think, by the end of the year is going to be a lot better than it is right now. So I don't think it's out of the question at all that they're going to lose two games. I go I, back I, to the window and hammer the under <laughs> at ten and a half. Um, okay, I like white right, Tom. What about you? What are the what's the one that you're the least confident in? The one I'm least confident in now is Auburn over six. Like if they had just held on to the damn seventeen to nothing lead against LSU on Saturday, I would have been feeling pretty good about it. Not great, but I'd have been like, "All right, this is still going to be a sweat." There's winnable games left here, but I think losing that game on Saturday completely destroyed my chances because I don't think they're beating Georgia this week. They're probably not beating Ole Miss on the road the next week after that. Arkansas at home, 
probably more winnable than any Arkansas fan wants to realize, but I don't not confident at Mississippi State, probably more winnable than most Mississippi State fans want to believe, but not confident. Texas A&M. Who knows? Uh, Western Kentucky at home. <laughs> Auburn could lose. I mean, that. at that point, you know, like. But- if with how much they've struggled offensively and what Western Kentucky's able to do, Auburn could legitimately I don't think they will, but I think that an upset loss there is very much in play, and then they're gonna lose the game against Alabama. I just don't see that happening. So can they get three wins for a push? Maybe. Can they get four wins to get over? I very much doubt it. And then the other two, which I still have some faith in, but I'm not super confident in are Florida State under seven. I think they've gotten off to way too good of a start to finish like six and six. And then Oklahoma State under eight and a half. I think they're going to be nine and three more than they're going to be eight and four. So I'm not feeling great about it. Um, Before I go ahead and take my egg on my face, I, I, I never even got to brag. Never even got to give you my most confident. Not just the winners that we have with Arizona and Vanderbilt. Penn State over eight and a half. I think we're... I think we're pacing towards nine and three, 10 and two, uh, somewhere around there. Arizona State under six. Tom's already addressed this. And then my lone lock fight of the win totals locks. I think North Carolina's getting to eight and four. I think that, you know, clearly we were able to dodge the upset against App State, uh, able to get the win against Georgia State. You take the loss to Notre Dame, bounce back against Virginia Tech. I mean, this is the position where. If you had talked to someone around North Carolina in July and said, hey, you're going to be 4-1 and one heading to Miami with a loss to Notre Dame, they would say, I'd take it. That, that sounds great. That sounds like we're about on schedule. Next couple games are big because I think it would be hilarious to beat Miami and lose to Duke. <laughs> and I think that as soon as they announced that Duke game being a near sellout, maybe even a sellout by the time the kickoff comes around, Wallace Wade Stadium at night under the lights. It would be hilarious to beat Miami and then turn around and lose to Duke. So that would change the math. But uh, I do I do feel okay about North Carolina going over seven and a half, Penn State over eight and a half. Okay. The Heels, the Heels need four wins, okay? So you tell me what they are. Are they winning at Miami? Not not can they, are they? No, no, no. Work reverse. Give me Georgia Tech. Give me yeah, Virginia. Give me the locks. <laughs> okay, you got Georgia Tech and Virginia. So of Miami, Duke, Pitt, Wake, and NC State, which two are they winning? They're winning one of Miami, Duke. They won't both be losses. And then uh, could beat Pitt's in Chapel Hill, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. They can beat Pitt. All right. Pitt cool. can't score. Well, I mean, Pitt can score. It's just it has a coach who has decided against it. No, listen, his sensibilities. When when Pitt beats Virginia Tech fifteen to four this weekend, we will all <laughs> celebrate in the glory that is the ACC Coastal Division. Um, yeah, here's what we got left: Miami and Duke. One of those is a win. I think Pittsburgh at home is a win. Virginia and Georgia Tech are wins. This this team can lose to Wake Forest and NC State and still be able to make it. Uh, two, eight, and four. Though either one of those could be a win. Well, that's I was going to tie that in with what I think is one of my bigger sweats all of a sudden is NC State. Now, NC State record-wise looks like they're doing okay. If we would have come in here and said, where do you think they'd be now? I'd probably say the same record, having, you know, probably have them losing to Clemson in a rematch game. We're about to find out a whole lot about them. We'll find out a lot more about Florida State this weekend. But 
the game against the, I would say put it in a nutshell, Devin Leary has not played the same as he played last year. And I think that makes NC State a little more vulnerable to losses when he was outstanding last year. By the way, UNC, Drake May, um, most surprising upside you know, player we've seen in the ACC, I would say. Maybe him or Garrett Schrader has been awesome. And I think that's why you should feel really good about your North Carolina over. But I, I just – and there's another thing, too. We didn't do it in the poll assassin, but NC State really doesn't have any business being 14 if you go on the resume. It's about preseason expectations and where they started. Um, I think Florida State could get them this weekend. Maybe I'm crazy. The line's pretty tight. It's three and a half, somewhere in there. I don't think it's that crazy to think Florida State could get them. Um, Syracuse could get them. Wake, Wake could get them. And I think North Carolina could get them. Yep. You know, so I think there's some, there's, I'm starting to sweat a little more. That Syracuse game is going to be really interesting. I did not think NC State Syracuse was going to be a game that I was going to be interested <laughs> in this year, but it is. Like, even yeah. no matter what happens against Florida State this week, I think that's going to be a huge game in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Sweating NC State, which is also my biggest sweat that I've got on the board, is 100% uh, as much what we've seen from everybody else, from the other teams. I mean, Wake looks better <clears throat> than I expected. So, um, totally. Oklahoma State under eight and a half. I I don't think that's going to cash. I, it, it can. I'm just not. Yeah. Do you want to surrender? Do you want to surrender? <laughs> do you want to surrender in is our it long fight? fight? Yeah. Oh, it is. It's oh, two yeah. ways. Let's yeah. go. I forgot so, about that. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to surrender. But uh, Chip and Tom are on the Oklahoma State under eight and a half. Danny is on the Oklahoma State over eight and a half. And. Uh, I mean, that is appropriate, Tom. We've had all the Oklahoma State fans coming for our throats. They are the fan base of the week as far as hating us. <laughs> I had I had fans rewatch the game four times just so that they could tell me that they rewatched the games four times and that clearly I didn't I watch just, the game. I just want to say, because I've heard this from multiple Oklahoma State fans this week who have told me that the Cowboys dominated and were in control of that game the entire time. That's fine. You have been you were confident they were going to win. But just to be clear, if a game is a one-score game for most of the fourth quarter, you didn't control or dominate anything. <laughs> like that game wasn't over until Blake Shapen threw an interception with like three minutes left. That's there were two when interceptions, game. right? In the fourth quarter? No, but I'm saying it was the second one in the fourth quarter that kind of like when they were up two scores and there was four minutes left, like Oklahoma State had just gone up 11, and then on the next possession, Baylor threw an ter- interception. That was when the game was over. It was not over at any point before that. I will say this as the Oklahoma State backer in here. Come on, let's go, Cowboys. Come my way. Give me some love. Like I'm the one defending them. Any game you can win in the Big 12 where there's any sure. kind of back and forth, you will take it when you can get it. And that's the way I will look at Oklahoma State's schedule that remains because even though i'm on the over and that's why i was trying to get you guys to cash out like i feel okay about it but this conference is wide open as we've talked about here a lot they're going to be a lot of within a touchdown type of lines the remainder of this uh season for oklahoma state see that's the thing like when you say that you don't think oklahoma state is like a top 10 team people think you're suddenly (laughs) saying that it sucks and it's like no i think oklahoma state's good i just don't think it's going 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 I mean, I just can't wait to take Texas Tech on the locks just to light everything on fire. 
have, have you ever seen a man make a spite pick in public? Well, tune <laughs> yeah. in Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. That's part of Chip's entire process. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other one, I mean, Tennessee under eight, that's dead in the water, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's gonna, so. as long as Hendon Hooker is playing quarterback for the Tennessee Volunteers, then Tennessee is going to be cashing that. Uh, they are not. They are definitely not going to be under. They won't be seven and five, and they will likely not be eight and four. I mean, shoot, this is they're they're looking more and more like a ten and two team. So mm-hmm. it'll be uh, very interesting to track that. That is the one that I'm the least confident in. Uh, let's see, what did Bud have here for least confident? Uh, he had UNC under. Oh yeah, that was a lock fight, and he said Drake May is awesome. The USC under. He is not confident in. Missouri over five, not confident. Had boy, man, had, they beat Georgia. <laughs> I mean, they could have won their last couple, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Air Force over eight and a half. He's a little bit worried about, and then SMU over six and a half. Uh, I guess this, you know, this game on Wednesday night uh, definitely shaping up there. Uh, all right, Tom, what do you? What's what are the big sweats that you've got left? Uh, my sweats, I still feel good about them, but I'm going to be sweating them. I mentioned we talked about Michigan over nine and a half. I still feel good about it, but I'm not super confident because things can go wrong. But the other two are Purdue under seven. I still think that they're going to finish seven and five, but they could get to eight and four. I think that has become much more of a possibility in recent weeks. And then the other one I'm still confident in, but UMass under two and a half. They've already got one win, and it's not so much UMass as much as it's they've got a couple of winnable games left on the schedule with UConn and New Mexico State. So I can't rule it out. As soon as they lose one of those games, though, I feel like that one's cashed. All right, Danny, you already mentioned USC. Are there any others that you're – how are you feeling about – did you mention Utah over nine one way or the other? I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I, the loss was, you know, rough. But again, I don't think I would have been shocked to sit here. And I kind of like the way they've been coming into form, running the football. They're still kind of that same identity they've been, that they've always been. And when you look at the schedule, I'm trying to pull it up here. Uh, USC goes to Salt Lake City. So I think that's a game. We were talking about USC earlier that you look at. And you're like, man, I kind of like Utah. This weekend, I think, is one of those critical games that you'll find out a lot more about them. They are a four-and-a-half-point favorite against UCLA. Like, the next two weeks, I think, will determine my bet. You know? But I, I actually feel okay about it. Not great. I think 10-2, and two, they still got a chance. Uh, Bud also saying that he's getting sweaty about the NC State over 8-and-a-half. What about Texas under 8-and-a-half? Mm. I mean, is, is, I, is the answer tough to tell? We'll see yeah. when yours comes back. Yeah, but I still feel like good about. It. I think the eight and four is probably the number when it's all said and done. Yeah, so I still feel pretty good about it, especially again that goes kind of the wide open nature of the Big Twelve. Like I think there's going to be a lot of games that are kind of wacky, and if you already lost one of those games against Texas Tech, like that was your opera. That one, like if they would have got that game, then I'm all of a sudden I'm way in different scenario. But they already lost one of those. I think there's another couple in there that'll be slip ups. Yeah, I think Oklahoma, the Oklahoma game will be a big factor in whether, whether they go over or under unranked Oklahoma unranked Texas just because it's unranked does not mean it will be ignored on the locks podcast at 11 a.m. Eastern time on Thursday okay it is the craze that is sweeping the nation it is the game show which dives deep into the history of this sport that we love it is where he been Tom? Yes, that's right, Chip. It is once again time to play Where He Been and Chip as the two-time 
reigning, defending champion. It is up to you to decide, would you like the ball or would you like to defer until the second half? Oh, I'd like the ball. All right, then. Our very first coach of the day. And again, let me refresh the listeners with the rules. I will name three coaches. Our contestants will then bid on how many of the previous coaching jobs that they could name for those coaches at what schools or professional teams they have coached at during their career, whether as a head coach or an assistant. If the person with the highest bid hits that number, they get a point. If they don't, the other player gets the point. The first to two points wins. And if you haven't listened to the first couple editions, Nobody else but Chip has gotten a point. So can Chip stay perfect? Does the undefeated season continue? Let us find out. Chip, your very first coach is currently unemployed, but he was employed earlier this year. He is Scott Frost, and he has coached at five different places. How many of them can you name? I can name three. Danny, can you name four? Is that, no. a, that better not be a paper you're looking at down there? <laughs> no, no, I got a pen. I'm writing yeah, down just to right. try to jot them down and get a visual on this one. But I'll tell you right now, it's pretty blank paper. So I'll say go ahead and name three. All right, okay. name three. He was an assistant at Oregon. Correct. He was the head coach at UCF. Correct. And he was the head coach at Nebraska. Correct. Those are three of the five. Do you Any guesses as to what the other two are? Could you have gotten four? No, was there an NFL stop? I mean, I, I I would have had to like take a shot in the dark. I I know that there were all colleges, all colleges. No, I, I could not have gotten four. Now I'm pissed because I forgot about Oregon. I literally talked to him at the Rose Bowl, like on the field for the game, and totally forgot about it. Um, Scott, <laughs> the most Frost obvious began, one out there. He began his coaching career as a grad assistant at Nebraska, duh. Um, but he was also a grad assistant at Kansas State in 2006. Mm-hmm. Moved to a linebackers coach at Northern Iowa first season at 2007 then became the co-defensive coordinator there at northern iowa yes scott frost was a linebackers coach and a co-defensive coordinator at the beginning of his career he didn't become an offensive coach until he moved to oregon where he was the wide receivers coach for five seasons or four seasons then he became the offensive coordinator for the next three seasons before becoming the ucf head coach and then returning home to nebraska to save the program and that did not go very well all right danny it is now your turn. You're down one nothing, so the pressure is on. There's another coach who is currently unemployed. He's been in the headlines a bit this week. He has coached at 10 different places. How many of Paul Christ's jobs can you name? <laughs> I'll go. I hope you can get at least two. I was going to say, I was going to go. But I'm going to have to guess, but I feel like I need to put out a high number out there. I don't give away my strategy. I'll say five. Five. Prove it. Prove it. <laughs> All right, let's go. All right, we got Pitt. Bing. <laughs> we got Wisconsin. Two. We have, was he at Syracuse? And... Just started with two and forced Chip to go with three. <laughs> Chip, how many could you name? I, I because it's Wisconsin twice. I, I that think, counts. No, it only no, counts. No, 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 oh. just, like in terms of like as I as I am trying to consider Paul Christ and I'm trying to consider his coaching tenure. I start him as, off the top of my head as Brett Bielema's offensive coordinator 
which he was prior to going to Pitt before going back to Wisconsin. I know that he was a quarterback for Wisconsin, but the early assistant days, which clearly he was bouncing around a lot, I, I cannot name. Well, I will go through his career for you. He started as a coach in 1989 as a grad assistant, as a young Matthew Coco was burning his very first couch at West Virginia. He was there for two seasons before going for two seasons to coach with the San Antonio Riders. I'm not even sure what football league they were in, but they were the San Antonio Riders. After that, he spent a season at Wisconsin Platteville, which is where the Chicago Bears used to hold their training camp. A year after that, he was north of the border, a coaching for the Ottawa Rough Riders as a QB coach before coming back to the States in 1995 as an offensive coordinator at Illinois State. And then he decided he missed Canada and he went back north of the border there to coach the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for a season. And then he came back to America, went back to the college route, spent two seasons as the offensive coordinator at San Diego State, then went to the San Diego Chargers as a tight ends coach for three years, Jeez. made his first stop at Wisconsin as a tight ends coach in 2002, spent the next two seasons at Oregon State as the offensive coordinator quarterback coach, and then that's when he came back to Madison in 2005 as the co-OC tight ends coach. In 2006-2011, he was the offensive coordinator quarterbacks coach, which led to him spending getting the pit job for three seasons, and then he returned to Wisconsin for eight seasons. So, Chip, you have once again won where he been but for the sake of the show we've got one coach left well can i can we offer like one just thought hey, do we have time on on chris yeah. yeah so we one of the headlines from this week was that uh there was a you know a negotiated buyout for paul chris from the school it was around 11 million dollars that is less, that is less than the contractual um amount and one of my thoughts to that was something that we actually discussed on the podcast which is whether or not he wanted to coach again $11 million lump sum by February of 2023 means that he gets the full amount. There's no offset. Him agreeing to that buyout deal tells me that Paul Christ is ready to coach Colorado or would like, you, wherever he wants to go. But he's, Would you rather have, let's say 19, it's like the lottery. Would you rather have 19 million over, I was going to say 10, but I think 10 is like you can wait. 19 over 20 years. Or 11 up front? 11 up front. Because I think that is an offer that I talked to a coach uh, who had one of these situations unfold, and he actually had negotiated a deal. And then the school came back like three years into the payment plan and was like, hey, you know, do you want it to? And they gave him another offer after three years. And then one more year, because he was like, no, you're paying every dime. Then one more year, he came back and they said, a little bit less. And he said, yeah, I'll take it. Give it to me now. Let's just be done with it. So that yeah. kind of those negotiations happen all the time. I think I would take the lump sum, depending on how much it was, but probably depends on how much you want to spite the school too. Like if you yeah. really want to hammer them, be like, no, I'm going to see this every year. Also depends on how good I am with money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Chip's observation is probably the best. It does mean you don't want to have to worry about hanging like offsets and all that stuff, mm -hmm. and worried about spite. Just give me the money and let me go on and get another job. Yeah, I I think that that move suggests that Paul Christ might not be right away, but he ain't done coaching. He, and he would like to be able to uh, clean his books up and, and not have to pay taxes in multiple states. Um, all right, let's do the third coach before we get out of here. All right, the final coach has coached at 10 different jobs. Um, none in Canada, though, all in America. Uh, Rich Rodriguez, how many of them can you name, Chip? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> 
Are you cheating, Chip? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm doing this. Oh, my Are you going to be like that? What was that? The the fishing the fishing competition where the guys were waiting the fish. Well, somebody here. Somebody made a reference to that weirdo chess story. <laughs> so oh, said, yeah. Check me for vibrating devices. <laughs> There's also there was something with poker too. It's been a great. It's like the last couple of weeks have been great for cheating. It's just wow. It's it's right. really news. Let's start it at three. Three, Danny. Can you beat three? Yes. How many are you going to bid? I'll bid four. Oh, Chip, you're going to go five? I'm, although. Yes. <laughs> oh, Danny, can you go six? Um, sure, why not? Let's see if we can <laughs> have some fun. Up, 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 prove it. Let's go. <laughs> you got it. All right. We've got the obvious one, the big three. West Virginia, Bing. Michigan, Bing. Arizona. Bing. There's three. We've got East Carolina. Oh, <laughs> All right. So let's let me let me go ahead and throw Ole Miss on there where he was the There's offensive four. coordinator. Mm -hmm. Um ULM. There's five. Where he was an offensive coordinator. Um well, there's one obvious one I can't believe you guys are missing. Where is he now? The ACC boys over here. Oh, Clemson. There you go. There's six. That's Clemson was where he was before he got the West Virginia job. Um How many and more? uh I think what? I think that's all I got. You don't even have his current job. game. What's his current job? He's currently at Jacksonville State. So there's uh, someone I was <laughs> So here, here's his career. Uh, from it started in 1985. The former West Virginia defensive back began as a student assistant at West Virginia as soon as he graduated. Then he spent three seasons at Salem in various roles, including as the head coach for the final season in 1988. That led to the outside linebacker's job at WVU in 89. He then became the head coach at Glenville State for seven seasons from 1990 to 96. That's where he developed the offense. Mm -hmm. Became the offensive coordinator at Tulane under Tommy Bowden from 97 to 98. And then he followed Tommy Bowden to Clemson again as the offensive coordinator for two seasons at Clemson. And then he got the West Virginia job where he was there for seven seasons. That led to the good time at Michigan and Ann Arbor, which went wonderfully for all involved. That led to his time at Arizona for six seasons. The Ole Miss OC job in 2019. The assistant head coach OC at ULM in 2021. And he is currently the head coach at Jacksonville State. I this suck at this game. It's been another edition of where he been? Was, that, I think was, that, three -0? was that a full sweep? Yeah, I think yes. the better name for the show is Will Danny ever get one right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure that you are here so you can get our locks for the week ahead. And you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Canelli. You can follow him at Tom Canelli. Follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.